acorns jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 175, Phenomenal Woman. Sunday, August 13th, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yinhu podcast has a Facebook page and it's available on iTunes. This episode features the following segments the back porch, the front porch, ever expanding skill set, and so forth. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I have been holding off a little bit on recording until having a finished project to talk about on the podcast. And this week, I was able to complete a project I've been working on since the beginning of July. It's a Melanie Berg design called A Twist to It. It's one of her relatively new designs, and it's for a stole that can button to create a number of different shapes, including a poncho. You can also double it over. The stole begins with a lace pattern. It's a repeat of eight stitches. And then gradually those repeats start to decrease so that the lace is intersecting with... um, a triangle of stockinette stitch. And then the stole finishes with stockinette stitch in the border, of course, and there are buttonholes along two sides and you sew buttons along the other two sides so that you can create a variety of different looks. One interesting thing about the lace pattern is that it's nearly as interesting on the wrong side as it is on the right side. So as you're styling it, you can turn that lace to the wrong side and still get some really interesting looks. I was intrigued with this pattern even though I wasn't planning to knit it with the yarn or the weight of yarn that was called for. But I was looking for something really special to knit with Shackleton yarn. And this has been uh, a, a long an involved journey for Sarah of the Fiber Trek podcast as she has led knitters on a Shackleton knit along where everyone comes back alive and encouraging us to take on challenges that we might not otherwise consider. Her own challenge was to design a yarn and she has done that along with some friends in Maine She used flat island fleece and 10% silk 
the yarn is a fingering weight. It seems like a very light fingering weight, but it blocks, it plumps up when you block it or when you steam it. And so it takes on a fingering weight quality. And this yarn is Croft Spun. So it has even more inconsistencies to it than a mill spun yarn. It's got thick parts and thin parts. There are a few parts where the wool and the silk may not be as thoroughly blended as in others. So there's a character to it as you're knitting and also in the final garment. And um, I don't think I've encountered any other yarn that is at once rustic and elegant. Part of the elegance comes from the gray color. It's like a distinguished gray color that's just enhanced by the silk. It's truly beautiful, truly special. And I knew that I wanted to have something that I would use for a long time. So this A Twist to It pattern by Melanie Berg really fit the bill. Even though it was meant for two yarns held together to be a DK weight, I just used the Shackleton. And I used US size 4 needles. And I wanted to make sure that it was long enough because in order to do the things that you're supposed to be able to do, like button it into a poncho, it does need to have some length to it. So I sacrificed a little bit of the depth and instead of, I think I cast on eight fewer stitches so that I would have maybe a little more length. And it worked out perfectly. It's just short of my wingspan in length. And the depth is about 24 inches, maybe a little bit more. So it works perfectly. And I, when I finished, I washed some of the buttons that I found in a button box I received from my grandmother. It's my grandmother's button box. However, I think that many of the buttons in it were actually from my great-grandmother. And they were salvaged, you can tell, because the threads are still in many of the buttons. So you have to trim all of that off. The buttons are also incredibly dirty, <laughs> so I always end up washing them before I use them. In this case, they're small mother-of-pearl buttons. They have a little bit of weight to them, and this garment, this um, stole is pretty lightweight, so I did not end up sewing on all, I think there are 34 buttons uh, specified in the pattern. I think I only sewed on about 15 of them. I sewed some so that I could button the piece into a poncho and I sewed a few more so that I could hook the two ends together and then double it over my neck to create like a really luxe scarf or cowl. It's an heirloom piece. It's such special yarn. It's a truly beautiful pattern and it's made even more special by the addition of these buttons. And it's at once pretty and plain enough to be used often. And the yarn is just 
incredible. It has strength to it, but it's also quite soft. It's for me, it's next to skin soft. It's just fine. Uh, it has a bit of a halo and yet it doesn't seem to shed too much. Uh, I think the staple length is long enough that, you know, little fibers aren't really working themselves out very much. So this is going to be something that I use for a very long time. And I'm so pleased to be part of, you know, this project of Sarah's and to work with this fiber that she created. I wanted to use every bit of this yarn and I stretched it so that for the bind off, I had to cut some of the yarn that was around the tags for the skeins and felt like spit splice them on so I had enough yarn to complete the bind off. And then obviously I didn't have enough yarn to be sewing buttons on with that yarn, so I had to use something else to sew the buttons. But that's, I just wanted to make sure every bit of yarn that I could possibly scrap together would be used in this project. At some point, Sarah will have this yarn available for purchase, and when she does, I give my very enthusiastic recommendation that you purchase some. Once again, the pattern that I mentioned is a twist to it by Melanie Berg, and the yarn is Shackleton yarn made with Flat Island fleece. Speaking of soulful stash and placed-based yarn, I will be one of the very lucky people who get to preview a new yarn, a limited edition yarn from Blacker Yarns. I was contacted by Katie Green, who is, I think she's the newest member of the Blacker team, and she described the birthday yarn that's coming very soon from Blacker and asked if I would like to be part of a team to review it tell listeners about it and she said she's even sending some things for a giveaway. So that is winging its way over the Atlantic and as soon as I have it and I have all of the directions and parameters for how and when, I will be swatching with that and taking some photographs and really telling you all about it so that you are prepared with information about the knitability and the colors, the textures of this yarn should you wish to make a purchase. Stay tuned for that. The front porch. We move now from the timeless to the very, very trendy. I'm taking part in The Hipster Cow, hosted by Jacqueline of Brooklyn Knit Folk, and the parameters are to select a pattern that has 30 or fewer projects on Ravelry. It doesn't anymore, but at the time I selected Ujo by Anka Strict, I think there were 28 
people knitting that pattern, and I'm one of those folks. Ujo itself is not particularly trendy. I think it's actually a very classic look. It's distinguishing feature is a very gentle knit five pearl one rib and that's featured at the neckline the hemline the cuffs for the sleeves and there's a very uh, subtle panel of that ribbing across the center back and I think there's also the ribbing in the pockets and the pockets work their way toward the hemline The dress has an A-line shape and all of the increases for the yoke and for the sleeves are just very gentle. Made in a classic type of yarn, I think this would be a really classic look. I decided to use a more trendy type of yarn a series of speckled and variegated yarns and create a dress out of three fingering weight skeins. I had a lot of assistance in this process from my friend Mary Beth, and I'll tell you about the yarns that I'm using. The first is from Tempting You Yarns, and this is from Mary Beth's stash because upon consultation, she said this was perfect and it it does look amazing. It's Tempting You Yarns, Maryland Sheep and Wool colorway in, it's the You So Happy Sock Base, which is 9010 Superwash Merino Nylon. And this skein has 125 grams, so 480 yards, a lot of yarn to play with there. I have finished knitting with that yarn, so I started at the neckline, and then once I separated for the sleeves, cast on a few extra stitches for the underarm, and then I did just a few rounds for the body, then I broke the yarn and then I picked up all my stitches for the sleeves and knit the sleeves. Because in using three different colors, I had to be very careful about having enough yarn to do the sleeves because you can't just suddenly start doing them in a different color. When the top is this creamy speckled color, the sleeves have to be that color too. And then with once I was completed with the sleeves, then I kept going with that yarn and then had to think about how to gradually transition into the next yarn. This garment is not fading. It's actually intensifying in color. And I didn't want that shift to be happening at the fullest part of my bust. I thought that would be like a rather odd transition. So the transition happens just below the bust line. And I just gradually start working in the next color, which is so extraordinarily beautiful. This yarn was a gift from Liz. It is from Becoming Art. 
a hand dyed yarn. It's the Agave Fingering Base 702010 Superwash Merino Cashmere Nylon. This is a four ounce skein with 450, 415 yards. And the colorway is Phenomenal Woman. This colorway just pushes every yes button. Um, there are browns and burgundies, little pops of blue. And then, of course, it's pulling in some of the purples and the pink from the Maryland Sheep and Wool colorway. I would say that the first yarn is a speckle dyed yarn. And this phenomenal woman is much more of a variegated yarn, but they work so perfectly together. It's just the color variations that I absolutely adore. And I, I don't know, I'm maybe about a third of the way through this second skein and I'm in the part of the knitting now where it's just a lot of stockinette in the round and gradual A-line increases. I have decided to carry the ribbing across the back for many more inches than the pattern specifies. I think you're supposed to stop the ribbing after four inches, and I'm going to go for probably eight to 10 inches all the way down the center back, and then just do that set of increases right at the point where I would also need some hip increases. This is kind of the same principle that's used in the staple dress. If you just take a few rows of elastic stitching across the center back and just cinch that in at the waist, it's sort of along the same lines. So far, the knitting is going well based on my typical loose tension. I have gone with a US two and a half, three millimeter needle for all the knitting. The only exceptions for that were the cast on for the collar or the neckline and then completing the sleeves. I used a US three and the only reason for that is I just needed the right length for my circular needles and I, that was the only uh, size needle I had with like a 14 inch circular. So the rest is at this, you know, very small needle size, kind of like knitting a giant sock, but it's, it's very relaxing. I love looking at the colors and I will repeat the same type of transition yet in reverse or sort of like a mirrored effect for my final yarn color. This is a Malabrigo sock, 440 yards, 3.5 ounces, and the colorway is Rayon Vert, which is just a lot of like Cabernet Sauvignon, just rich, rich wine reds. And that is also, I don't know, I don't even think that's a variegated, I think that's like a tonal yarn. So from speckle to variegated to tonal, and I'm really enjoying this. The knitting is going much more quickly than I thought it would, and I'm hoping to have this project done by the end of the month. 
because I have my own Shackleton project to complete. And that is a dress that's knit entirely in Shetland yarn. And the color work yoke is yarn that has been processed and hand spun, spindle spun, and hand dyed by me. And I need to start that project on September 1 in order to have it complete for Rhinebeck, which is where I purchased the fleece with my fleece wise buddies one year ago. So if I can have this finished, that will be great because then my needles will be clear and I can start my Shackleton knitting. Once again, that project is Ujo by Ankastrick. It's knit in a variety of superwash merino nylon blend yarns on US two and a half or three millimeter needles. Ever-expanding skill set. How is hashtag Power Pantry going for you? Are you discovering or using your favorite magic ingredients? There's been a lot of activity on the threads talking about some favorite magic reach for it and turn on the magic type ingredients that listeners are using from their pantries. And many of them fall into the herbs and spices kind of condiments category. And I think those kinds of things are so handy to have in your pantry because they can really elevate elements of your cooking that maybe aren't that exciting or you're trying to pull it off in a hurry and you don't have a lot of time. And just by adding something special, you can really bring it to a new level. So some suggestions contributed by listeners. Maggie's Corner mentioned nutritional yeast, and this was seconded by a whole variety of people. I know my sister Jessica uses nutritional yeast, but I have never used it. I've probably had it in her cooking, but it's not something I have in my pantry. I think I should reconsider that. And the Jasper Patch said that she had encountered nutritional yeast as a popcorn topping with rosemary and maybe parmesan. Sounds interesting. And then she recommended cashews soaked overnight and then blended into a cream. This is an excellent non-dairy alternative, which still gives you that rich mouthfeel of cream-based or dairy-based products. Soak your cashews overnight and then blend them up in a food processor. Sen One recommended balsamic vinegar. I think having some different balsamic vinegars and flavored vinegars on hand is such a great idea. And I also love having a balsamic reduction, either one I've made myself or you can buy some already packaged. Drizzle that over anything and it just elevates whatever's on the plate, I'm telling you. Kunstnit recommended fresh ginger, which, yeah, it's always like, mmm, what's in this? It just, it brightens. It kind of has that lemon and salt effect of brightening up whatever else 
is in the flavor profile. Craft Buzz recommended horseradish, smoked paprika, pickled red onion, and cinnamon. Some suggestions of my own. I've been making a pesto this summer with fresh basil from the farmer's market, and there's been some really nice-looking basil at the farmer's market. I just bring it home in giant bunches, give it a wash. We've had so much rain, it's really gritty dirty. So it needs a wash, and then I just blend it up with... Lemon juice, a little bit of garlic, salt, olive oil, and then I used up all my pignoli nuts, but I bought some walnuts. So this week's version will have walnuts. It's great to make and use fresh, but what I'm doing is making it and putting it into ice cube trays to freeze and then filling bags with ice cubes of pesto. I use special ice cube trays for this purpose and I don't use them to make ice because they really collect the flavors and especially the garlic so you don't want to make ice cubes in those trays but they are just so great to have on hand and especially in the dead of winter when you're just craving something fresh and bright to pull out a few of those pesto cubes is a really great thing. I also like red chili paste and miso paste. Balsamic reduction I mentioned. Smoked sea salt. I have some black sea salt. And I put it on the top of my deviled eggs. In fact, I think I'm going to be making some of those this week. I make deviled eggs. I like to put a lot of dill in the yolk cream for the deviled eggs but then on top I just sprinkle a few grains of black sea salt just before serving. It looks like caviar but it has a smokiness and the crunch of salt and it always makes my guests say oh what is this because they think it's one thing and it ends up being another. It's quite clever. I have also been using a lot of Zatar, and I think I have the correct pronunciation on that. The spelling is Z A apostrophe A T A R. It's a Middle Eastern spice blend. It can vary in its composition, but it typically includes thyme, salt, sumac, and toasted sesame seeds. I was interested in making my own because I didn't see it in all of the spice offerings at my local health food store. And so I kept asking them if they would special order sumac for me. And they said they would, but it has never arrived. When I was in New York, Melissa recommended Calustians for spices and specialty ingredients. And I stopped in there on my way back to the bus and What a revelation that place. I could spend hours in there, but I did manage to pick up one of the, I think they had like six or seven varieties of this spice blend, as well as way too much nougat. That was not on my shopping list, but I've been using this za'atar on the tops of roasted or grilled vegetables, and I first got 
the idea to go searching for this spice blend because Andrea Bamis of Dishing Up the Dirt, which I mention all the time on this podcast, features it in quite a few of her recipes. And so that's what first got me looking for it. And now that I have some on hand, I've been experimenting with some of her recipes featuring this spice blend. It has kind of a lemony, peppery, bright flavor to it. And I don't have all of the ingredients for my particular blend on hand to tell you about now, but I feel like there might be some paprika or maybe some turmeric in the blend that I purchased. There's a variety of different compositions, and if you look online, you can see some recipes or mail order some. I think Calustians also does a mail order service. But we've been having fun with magic ingredients, and I look forward to more posts and photographs from listeners as we continue to experiment all month long. I was reading posts from a previous episode, and Hockey Rachel mentioned her inclination to try making meringue. Last month, we had talked about grilling and using the residual heat from the grill after you finish cooking with it. There's heat left over, and that's a valuable resource. So I had mentioned using it that heat to grill peaches. I'll also throw a few more ears of corn on there and just let them cook while we finish eating and then free cut off the corn from the cob and freeze that. But Hockey Rachel mentioned using it to cook meringue. Like if you had your meringue all ready and then when you finished grilling your meal, you just put whatever it was, if it was the topping for a pie or some other dessert, and you just put that on the grill and then close the lid and let the heat do its work. And it would also maybe be more foolproof than an oven because the heat would be gradually dying off and you would not be so prone to burning your meringue. In a charcoal grill, this would also impart a smoky flavor because I can't imagine that those egg whites wouldn't just pull in whatever flavor was left. So it could be an opportunity to try like meringue in a savory preparation. The other night uh, we went to a local restaurant and we did not order this, but I saw on the menu s'mores in a mason jar. I think anything in a mason jar is like the new trend in restaurants. But this dessert, I saw it being carried to some other guests. It was chocolate pudding and graham cracker crumbs and in place of the marshmallow, a meringue. And it had been toasted on the top. So some kind of dessert like that could be really cool with a smoky kind of flavor. Hockey Rachel has a natural gas grill. So I think that if you, you know, did a good scrub of the grill and there were, you know, no residue left over from the meal you just cooked, 
that would probably be a neutral environment for a meringue. But what if it weren't a neutral environment? What if you had like wood smoked meringue? It could be really cool. And so forth. This week, I plan to get back to a little bit of sewing. We had a rainy weekend, so I got to spend some time working on sewing projects. I like to warm up to more intense sewing by doing some small things, small tasks first. And this weekend, the first thing I tackled was to shorten the sleeves on a terry cloth robe of Samuel's. He has been mentioning that the sleeves on this robe are way too long for a while. And I sometimes I just get like a mental block about being able to do something that I've never done before. When I actually approached this task, it wasn't, it hardly took me any time at all. I measured the length of his arm. I added an inch and a half. I cut off the excess terry cloth sleeve and then I used those cut off cuffs to practice all of the stitching I was going to do because I guess my biggest mental block was about the thickness of this fabric and how it would be to sew that so my walking foot for my machine came in handy and then I also used my over edge foot so that I could just bind the edge of this terry cloth fabric so it wouldn't fray and then I didn't need to have a triple thickness in order to create the cuff I just had a nice clean edge and so I just sewed through two thicknesses in order to create a hem for the cuff in about 25 minutes this was all complete and then I felt I felt good doing a small task and then it, I don't know, it makes me brave, I guess, courageous for other things. I've been working on a lengthened version of the willow top with a little bit of an adjustment in the bust dart. The other thing I did with that willow top pattern is that I lengthened the front piece at the neckline so that I would have enough fabric to do a French seam and then stitch down the seam, which I think is a nice look and it gives a little more stability to the top. And I wanted it longer. So I used the lengthening line and I added two inches. I created the same folded hem that's on the original willow top, but this time it's hitting at the hip instead of the high hip. And I really like that look. I used some beautiful lawn fabric from Heather Ross. It's her sleeping porch line. And she has this incredible lavender background with moths and some plant material. It's just stunning, this fabric. I picked up just a little bit at Firecracker when I was in Pittsburgh. And I used um, like a mustard-colored linen for the back of the top. I also think I added maybe a little bit of waist shaping because as I reconciled 
the bottom and the top when I added two inches to the length, I just gradually took a little bit out at the waist so that I would have a more flattering fit. The willow top is comfortable, but I don't think it does much for figure enhancement. <laughs> it doesn't even give the illusion of a waist. It just gets wider right at the waistline and cuts off at the high hip. Comfortable, but I wanted to create something that had a little bit more of a feminine look to it. So I made that top in its entirety. I also cut my own bias tape for that and realized that when cutting a very delicate fabric like this cotton lawn, I should maybe cut my bias tape a little bit wider than recommended because I didn't have enough fabric to really work through in pulling it through my bias tape maker. And it, it was kind of frustrating and I had cut a lot of bias tape. So I'm going to try to use it as a single fold bias tape by just creating one fold and sewing the flat edge to the garment. It makes a much more delicate bias tape but I think I can work with it. In the future though, I would definitely cut a wider bias tape if it's a more, if it's a thinner, lighter fabric. I cut out another willow top front and back, and I would like to once again embroider the front of this top. It's just a um, quilting cotton with a botanical type print on a very plain creamy background but I picked up some beautiful colored embroidery threads four colors and I would like to just play around embroidering over that botanical print to create another top with a bit of I don't know a bit of visual interest with the color I also think that's a nice take-along project I plan this week to work on my mashup staple dress. I'm not sure if I will do anything about the neckline, but I am definitely including the pocket style from the Anne Carolyn smock. And I'm making this in a double gauze and the pockets are that beautiful Heather Ross lawn with the moths on it. So that will be a really nice lightweight garment. This is the third of my five-year plan for a mostly handmade wardrobe. And I have made mostly loose-fitting things. I think it's time for me to move into more fitted garments and maybe something with a bit more structure. Some pieces that I love in my current wardrobe include blazers. It's a nice professional but comfortable look and I like wearing a blazer over a sleeveless top or even a tank because I like having the layers and I don't like having you know thick sleeves under a jacket. So I like that kind of layering. So I'd like to work my way to some sort of structured jacket, maybe partially lined or with some facings, because that 
would be a wardrobe staple for me. I have also received as gifts two patterns that are much more fitted than the types of things I've been making so far. They're both Colette patterns. One is the ginger skirt and the other I think is a dahlia dress. It has gathering at the neckline and then it has a waistband and some gathering at the like for bust in place of bust darts maybe and then also at the at the gathering for the skirt of the dress. These have zippers, they create fit. And I think it's time for me to tackle some of those elements. So those will be in my future, maybe thinking about, you know, back to school wardrobe, some fall weight fabrics, or maybe using some things that I have in my stash. I had plans for some other garments and, you know, maybe they will still happen, but I feel like with the weeks left before I go back to work, I'd like to spend working on a bit of a new challenge with this fit. Whatever happens, you'll hear about it here in the next episode of the Yarns at Yinhu podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, cars jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse. It's a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a mighty It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, fine Leaves lay down like a lady, waiting for a naked man. River bends like an elbow, turning stones to sand. It's a sweet nature, sweet nature thing. It's a It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing.
Thanks for listening. Music for this episode is so sweet. Music and lyrics by Samuel St. Thomas, performed by Bovine Social Club. Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week. Thank you.